All right, welcome to MBA's Unplugged. I'm your host, John Ford. I'm here today with uh, Juan Nichols. And if I do a bad job on this podcast, it's just because I'm extremely hungry because he's a chef and I'm thinking of all the food that I could be eating uh, instead of recording this show. Welcome, Juan. Thank you, John. It's good to be here. All right, let's start as we always do with the family background and where you're from. Uh, where'd you grow up? Um, so I uh, was born in Houston, uh, in Texas. Uh, both my parents are Colombian. And uh, growing up, my family lived all over South America. Uh, we lived in Guatemala, Colombia, Chile, Brazil, Barbados, and a few different cities in the US. Um, we, uh, I have two siblings, uh, so we're three, and each one of us was born in a different country. Um, and then, uh, you know, I came back to the U.S. Uh, to finish high school and go to college. Where in Guatemala did you live? Uh, we lived in Guatemala City. What was it like? Guatemala is um, an extremely culturally diverse country. Um, it's actually majority indigenous. And even though uh, Spanish is the national uh, language, there's a lot of people that don't speak Spanish and they just speak um, Mayan languages. I think the predominant one uh, is called Cachacal. Um, I remember you know, touring Guatemala and going to different cities that were known to be majority indigenous cities and seeing markets where you know, there was no currency. It was all barter. You would exchange uh, chickens for carved wooden goods and things like that. And I remember um, going to the rainforest and seeing uh, the Mayan pyramids. It was really an enriching experience. What about Brazil? Where in Brazil did you live? Um, I, we lived in Rio uh, on the beach uh, for three and a half years. Um, Rio is an incredible place to live. The Brazilian people are, they're so nice, they're so warm. Um, the food and the culture is incredible and it, and it was just a great place to live. Um, and Colombia, you said you lived in Colombia. Yeah, we lived in uh, Bogota. Um, so even though, you know, my family's Colombian, um, it's the place where I've lived uh, the shortest amount of time. Um, so always felt, you know, a little bit like an outsider uh, both in the U.S. and in Colombia. Um, I, I think the last time we lived there, we lived there for uh, four, four months and then uh, we moved to back to the U.S. Um, I, Colombia is one of my favorite countries to visit. If you haven't yet, you need to go. Um, the food's incredible. It's beautiful. It's very safe. Um, and it, it's one of my favorite places to visit in South America. I've been to Cartagena and I can't rave enough about it. I thought it was a wonderful city. I've not been to Bogota, but. I think, um, I mean, Cartagena is definitely prettier, but Bogota is more fun. Really? What, what yeah. is it uh, that makes Bogota so special? Um, it's just uh, Cartagena's, uh, it's a big tourist town. Um, so a lot of the stuff that you're getting isn't necessarily authentic. Um, they're, entertainment is catered towards tourists, whereas in Bogota, the entertainment, um, the dancing, um, 
the restaurants, the parties, it's all catered towards locals. And so you get a really different experience. What's the game that they play in Colombia? I forget what it's called, but it's, um, it's like bowling with fireworks. Oh, so not quite bowling. It's more similar to cornhole. Yeah, that's what I was and, trying to think of the name of cornhole and I couldn't. So I went yeah. with bowling just to, just to not have dead air. I just said bowling. <laughs> it's called um, Dejo. And you, you got like this clay triangle uh, with, um, it's like uh, a little uh, popper that's made um, with gunpowder. And so you, you throw it and it explodes and you're supposed to hit uh, this target. Um, it's, you know, it's a pretty fun game. Everybody's always down to play with like small explosions. Yeah. Absolutely. You got to take your classmates on like a spring break trip down there and, and show them how it's done. <laughs> I think um, there are actually uh, people are like MTV sports or something like that. They're trying to like formalize it and start like televised leagues just because it's because of the novelty of it. Oh, this is perfect. Have you seen dodgeball? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This this is a perfect sport for ESPN 8, the Ocho. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, all right, Chile. You've also lived in Chile. Pirani Steiner was on the show. She lived in. Uh, no, I'm sorry. It was it was Cam who lived in Chile. Somebody lived in Chile. Oh, I I didn't know that. Um, but we lived in Santiago for uh, four years. Um, and that uh, that was an incredible place to live. Um, Santiago is one of the most cosmopolitan cities in South America. It's got, um, I think, three or four restaurants that are on the 50 best restaurants in the world list. Um, it's an hour away from skiing. Um, that's actually where the skiing is a big part of my life. Um, and that's where I learned to ski. Um, and that's where my sister was born. Excellent. Um, so skiing in Chile, so you're going up into the Andes. What, what's the elevation in San Diego? It's like 8,000 feet anyway, right? Yeah, it's really high, just in the city without even going to the mountains. Yeah. And Bogota too. Bogota's at 10,000 feet. That's right. That's right. People don't think of it as being elevated because it's, uh, it's, it's so close to the equator that you don't get a lot of snow. But Yeah. Do you ever get snow in Bogota? No, you don't. There are um, there are mountains that are so tall in Colombia that they are snowed uh, over all year round, um, but not in Bogota. Bogota is sort of on a high plateau, um, so but it's right on the equator. So it's this really nice mix of you know like um, eighty during the day uh, in the hot, warmer months, maybe seventy. Uh, or mid 60s in the colder months uh, and just like this constant breeze going through. Got it. And the last foreign country you were in, Barbados, that sounds like a pretty nice place to grow up. Sounds like, I'm wondering if it actually was because you know, was that when I was in the army, people would talk about Hawaii as a duty station and people really wanted to get stationed in Hawaii when they first got in the army. But people who had been in the army a long time were a lot less likely to ask for Hawaii because people would come back and be like, 
it's great for the first couple of weeks. And then you're just like on an Island and you go stir crazy. <laughs> um, definitely a little bit of that. It does get a little small. Um, but I, I love free diving. And, uh, so when I'm there and I have free times often, I'll, uh, have a light breakfast and go, go swimming in the ocean and try to find a few dive sites. And, uh, sometimes I'll be in the water from 9am to 4pm without touching land, uh, and diving, uh, to like a hundred or 120 feet, um, without, uh, without any, uh, gear, basically just some fins and, and a mask. I tried scuba diving and I didn't get anywhere close to hundred feet. I probably didn't get close to 50 feet. You get a certain level and your ears start to hurt. Yeah. You, you have to equalize the pressure in your ears as you're going down constantly. So what's the way to do that without running out of air? You, well, you, uh, you plug your nose and you, and you try to breathe out through your nose and that forces compressed air into your ears and you can increase the pressure um, sort of proportionately as you continue to dive deeper and deeper into the water. And you're not, you're not really using any additional air. Okay. Because when you're exhaling, you're exhaling mostly CO2. Um, that's uh, not really true. Um, you don't really, um, you, you don't, consume all of the oxygen that you breathe in um your your body just sort of has this built-in need to take another breath it's like um it's a subconscious just like need to do it constantly and you you need to sort of learn to quiet that um to be able to free dive very well um actually so you, so you just build yourself the tolerance to sort of overcome your body's natural instinct yeah if you um like if you meditate and you concentrate you can actually slow down your heart rate consciously um and that helps you a lot when you're free diving because the, the lower your heart rate the uh the less oxygen you consume uh while you're not breathing interesting yeah i can i can hold my breath for three minutes but I'm, the best people can can hold it for eight. Wow. All right. So then you've also lived in the U.S. Where in the yeah. U.S. have you lived? Um, so I finished high school in Miami. That's typically where I say where I'm from uh, when people ask and they don't have half an hour. Um, but I've lived in... It's only uh, my, 11, we're only 11 minutes into the show. Give yourself some credit. <laughs> um, lived in uh, Houston, Miami, um, Connecticut, um, Hanover, New Hampshire, uh, Washington, D.C., uh, Park City, Utah, and now L.A. Why Hanover, New Hampshire? That was the, I think that was the smallest town you named. Yeah, um, that's where that's where I went to college. Uh, I went to school uh, at Dartmouth College, um, and so I lived there between uh, 2011 and 2015. Oh, okay. So then you go off to college, you go to Dartmouth. What do you major in? Uh, economics. Um, I did a major in economics. I was interested in 
you know, you know having seen all these different countries, um, how economics influences people and how you can leverage economics to incentivize uh, good and bad decision-making. Um, so it's what I wanted to focus on. And I got a minor in environmental studies. Um, and I also concentrated a lot in uh, my studies in photography, um, which is one of, one of my hobbies. Talk to me a little bit more about that. How'd you get into photography? Um, I just asked for a camera one Christmas and I just went out and started uh, taking pictures um, and reading a little bit about it and getting better and better. Um, and then when I was in college, I actually started a small business uh, originally taking pictures of uh, social events um, to post on social media um, after the event. And then grew that business uh, while I was in college to service um, not only social events, but also uh, the campus. So when different uh, campus academic departments uh, had events or guest speakers, they would hire me to come in and take pictures and document it, um, but also uh, small businesses in the town. And so from, from something that I was, um, you know, I was just doing for fun at first, um, I grew it into a business that really, you know, paid for all of my discretionary expenses in college. And I had, uh, I think four staff members, uh, on the team and, um, it, it was a, something that taught me that you can really, you know, turn your passion into something productive. And, and that really, you know, the key to having a good business is that you just need to uh, present a quality product to your customers. I, I was able to grow it um, and to get this level of success because um, I, I was the best photographer in town and I was interested in, in getting better and sort of learning constantly. That's interesting. So you you sort of have the entrepreneurship thing in your bones, it sounds like, because you're in college and you're starting a photography business. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I the last two and a half years um, before I came to Marshall, I, I took a big risk um, and I quit my day job and I started uh, a private services, uh, private shop services business for high net worth individuals. And- Well, we'll, we'll get to that later. I, I wanna save that a little bit. But, um... So Dartmouth, Dartmouth is, is that the furthest north you've lived? Yeah. Yeah, it was cold. I did not know what I was getting into, John. I was going to ask, because you grew up in Latin America, and then you go to school in sunny New Hampshire. And I was going to ask, is it because you just didn't know any better? Um, no, it's because I was totally bamboozled. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I visited the campus um, in the middle of summer. And so it was 80 or 90 degrees. The sun rose at 5 a.m. and set at 10 p.m. Um, and it was just beautiful, you know, rolling hills and mountains. Uh, the forest was incredible. You know, I, I remember going to swim in a river and I was like, this is great. Why would I want to go anywhere else? And then, um, you know, fast forward six months and it's the middle of winter and it's like the second straight week when it's been negative 40 
and <laughs> um, you don't really want to go outside. It's certainly was, uh, I think, a character building experience, but um, I really love being outside. I love hiking and I love skiing. And I think Dartmouth played a big role in giving me that love for nature. Um, my family's not really an outdoors type of family, um, but you know, my, my time at Dartmouth, what I did for fun would be to go hiking and go into the forest. Um, my senior winter actually, you know, the terms are, they're about 80 days long because they do trimesters. My senior winter, I skied 40 out of those 80 days. Oh, wow. Uh, you'll get plenty of ski trips at Marshall if you haven't done some already. Yeah, I got, I got a little bit of skiing in this winter. How does the skiing in California compare to the skiing in uh, New Hampshire? I um, Or to Chile or to any place else you've skied. I've never been skiing in California. I, so this, this winter, um, my, my family actually um, owns a house in Park City. So uh, this winter break, um, I went to Park City and I actually invited some of our uh, first year classmates uh, to come skiing. And because Marshall uh, delayed the in-person start that day, I was there for I think more than a month and I, I was skiing every day or every other day. Interesting. Uh, and so how does skiing in Colorado compare to Chile or New Hampshire? It's good. Um, the snow is uh, much more consistent and better. Um, but uh, Chile is known for having really, really dramatic, steep pitches. Um, and so it's a little bit more challenging in Chile, but the snow, the snow's better. And, you know, if you want something challenging, you can always look for it, hike up a mountain and, and ski down by yourself. I think when you do get a chance to ski in California, you will, you will also find that the snow is very consistent uh, because it comes from a machine. <laughs> it's not real yeah. snow. Um, we're, you know, we're really lucky in Utah. It's, it's really dry and light. I've heard, um, the term uh, like liquid cement thrown around to describe uh, the snowpack in California. So it gets the job done. That's what I'll say. <laughs> it gets the job done. Uh, I'm, I'm eager to find out. All right. So we're going to do a little, uh, little promo for the Vegas trip that's coming up for the class of 2022. And then we'll get back to our interview with Juan. We got a Vegas trip coming up. Sign up for the Vegas trip. We have a lot of stuff going on in Las Vegas. You heard on our last episode what some of the uh, visiting musical acts are. I actually did prep for this show as if I were a professional podcaster. I did actual show prep instead of just coming on and winging it. And so I looked up, look at all the shows that are going to be in Vegas. Blue Man Group, Penn and Teller. There are five different Cirque du Soleil shows going. I don't know if that's a reason to go or a reason to not go, but there are five different Cirque du Soleil shows going. RuPaul's Drag Race Live, Magic Mike Las Vegas, a little something for the ladies, Keith Urban, John Legend, Tape Face, whatever Tape Face is. I don't, Juan, do you know what Tape Face is? Never heard of it. I have no idea what Tape Face is. Come to the Vegas trip, buy a ticket to Tape Face, and find out what it is. It's a little mystery you can go on. 
sign up for the Vegas trip. There's a sign up sheet. It's been posted in the WhatsApp thread. Uh, sign up, sign up, sign up. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right, Juan, time for some fun offbeat questions before we go back into biography and we can talk about starting a private chef business. Um, yeah, absolutely. So here's the fun questions. What's the worst movie you've ever seen? Worst movie I've ever seen? Um, I think um, Piranha, uh, which is actually a movie that is so bad that I just love it so much. Um, I Have you seen it? No. Um, so the concept is that people are on spring break uh, on... Uh, Lake Powell in Arizona, and there's a, a lake underneath the lake that's been separated for millions of years by a rock layer, and that rock layer breaks, and these dinosaur-sized piranhas uh, come out and start eating all of the spring breakers. It's uh, pretty entertaining if you want to laugh. So what year was that? Um, I don't really know. There is a Piranha in 1978. Is it that movie or is it more recent? Uh, it's more recent. Hold on. Because there was a Piranha in 1978. And I know that. Uh, two, it was a 2010 uh, okay. film. It actually got 74% on Rotten Tomatoes, but only 53% on Metacritic. Well, the high Rotten Tomatoes score, remember, the most popular restaurant in America is McDonald's. We have no taste. So take, <laughs> take those ratings for what they're worth. I asked about the um, 1978 Piranha because the sequel, Piranha 2, was James Cameron's first movie that he directed. Oh, I, I didn't know that. I have never seen either of them. Uh, but I, I think I know the Piranha that you're talking about because every once in a while, for reasons that no one can explain... Instagram will, will, you know, there's the sort of suggested views on Instagram. You go to the little magnifying glass and mm -hmm. it'll give you like clips of horror movies set to bad techno. <laughs> I think I've, I think I've seen clips from Piranha. There's like piranhas jumping out of a water park and biting people's heads off. Uh, sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen clips from this movie and it, I can imagine loving it for being as bad as it is. Um, Speaking of loving things for being bad or loving things that are good, but people won't admit are good. What's the kind of music you like that you're embarrassed to like? Um, I think Disney movie soundtracks are phenomenal. Yes. There's no reason to be embarrassed <laughs> about that. Do you have a favorite? Uh, definitely the Tarzan soundtrack, Phil Collins. Amazing. Oh, excellent. Excellent. I remember that movie. Yeah. Um, he, he didn't need to go as hard as he did, but it, it worked God. out for the best. But thank God he did. Uh, what is the last book you read not for school? Um, the last book I read is called Breath. Uh, and it, it's about how our breathing has changed um, with... Uh, the industrial revolution and what uh the effects of those changes are on our health okay well what are the changes um well so typically uh when someone breathes nowadays you you breathe like 
I think 30 or, or 40 breaths per minute. Um, and I think the natural sort of steady state, the way you're supposed to breathe, um, is taking roughly five breaths per minute. Um, so, you know, breathing in for five or six seconds and then, uh, breathing out for the same amount of time. Um, and the reason for that is that we tend to be, uh, chronically stressed. Um, we have elevated heart rates and we're sort of rushing from place to place. Um, but there's very clear, um, psychological, uh, effects. Uh, it's sort of a, uh, a vicious cycle where if your body is taking on the physical cues of stress, you tend to get more stressed. Right. Mm, um, yeah. and so, so that brings with it a host of health effects like, uh, cardiovascular disease and, um, just from, you know, like an elevated heart rate, higher stress, like more constricted blood vessels. Um, and there's a lot of other um, effects tied to uh, your metabolism and how your body regulates its temperature um, because you're, you're taking in, you know, your body has to perform homeostasis based on what you take in and what you put out. Um, and so you're, you're taking in air at a very different like cadence and rate and it, it changes the way your body handles that. That's interesting. I'll have to try to check that out. Really great book. Um, really great writer. Um, I forget his name, but his previous book was actually, um, research into professional freedivers and their psychology and methods and how they stay underwater for like 10 to 12 minutes at a time. That's interesting. I will spend most of the rest of the day trying to count how many breaths I'm taking per minute. <laughs> I won't um, be able to help it. My OCD will make me do it. It's a great book. Uh, one of the quirky things it recommends is uh, taping your mouth shut when you go to sleep. So you breathe only through your nose. And I was very skeptical, but I tried it and I actually woke up feeling a lot better. Okay. Um, you got a lot of places to pick from, but one of these questions is favorite place you've been. Um, so I'll give you um, my favorite place that I've lived, uh, I think would have to be Barbados, uh, just because of the access to the ocean, um, followed closely by Rio. And then the favorite, my favorite city to visit is uh, Paris. I, um, I'm fluent in French and I just love the culture and the food. And I know Paris, uh, like the back of my hand, I can get around on foot without asking for directions. Easy. All right. And the place you want to go. I want to visit Asia. Um, I'm pretty well-traveled in Europe and the Americas, but I don't know, uh, Asia at all actually. So. Have you ever been to Asia, period? No. Do you have a place in Asia that you're particularly drawn to? Um, yeah, I want to. Um, there's this uh, island nation um, called Palau um, that has some of the most pristine uh, coral reefs in the world that I want to see. Um, and I think in terms of culturally, um, I... I would love to visit uh, China, China and India um, and see sort of some of the iconic sites and just the way that people live in those countries. 
Very interesting. So you're you're drawn to the ocean and the beach and the landscapes more than trying to be in Singapore or Tokyo in the bustling cities and eating street food out of a cart. Yeah, I mean, you know, we get city life every day. So when I get the opportunity to travel, um, I want it to be something that is much harder for me to come across. Um, And, you know, coupled with that, you know, there's some sense of these coral reefs or these like untouched, pristine, natural wildernesses, they're finite. And, you know, uh, the climate's changing. There's a question of whether or not they're going to survive. Uh, the world population is expanding, so we don't really know if they're going to be preserved. And so there's some sense of, you know, you need to see them before they're gone. Yeah. All right. So you graduate from the, uh, the fraud university in Hanover, New Hampshire, that tricked you with a beautiful summer and a, a gentle, <laughs> lovely fall with gorgeous foliage and then hit you like Jack Nicholson going insane in The Shining with a brutal New England winter. You finally get out of there. And uh, you make the natural transition from being an econ major at an Ivy League school to being a chef? Um, So not quite as seamless and not quite as natural as you you put it. But um, I did work uh, for a consulting firm uh, for a year as a business consultant. Um, And that, I think, was actually a formative experience in that it um, taught me a lot about business um, and how to create value in, in a business that has been around for a long time. I was working with Fortune 500 clients, um, including, um, you know, Anheuser-Busch uh, and, and other large companies. Um, but, but after working at a desk for a year, I decided that I, I didn't really want to spend my 20s um, sitting in an office and that I also wanted to pursue something that I loved. So I, I quit my job as a consultant. Uh, I moved to uh, Park City because it had a good mix of nature and uh, some high quality uh, food offerings. And I um, got a job as a ski instructor and I got a job as a line cook. Um, and getting a job as a line cook was a lot harder than you would expect. Um, I, you know, I knew that I wanted to create really good food and, and be in the high end, like hospitality and, and food and beverage industry. And so I went um, to this, this part of the city where there were all these, you know, high end restaurants. And I went door to door knocking on, on the chef's doors and saying, hey, you know, uh, I cook at home a lot, you know, I'm pretty proficient. I speak Spanish and English, you know, I, I can help you. I, I'm happy to work for you for a low wage. I just want to learn and, and get a chance. And people kept saying, no, you know, we just don't have time for that. We, we don't want to train someone new. And I just kept getting doors shut in my face um, and, and being told like no over and over. And so finally, uh, a chef gave me a chance and he the interview was like something out of uh top chef with you know gordon ramsay like breathing down your throat or your neck um and i was told you know to 
to chop an onion in front of the chef. And my technique was like being evaluated as I was doing this in real time. I was told to like, you know, butcher a fish and, and see if I could like fillet it properly. And then, you know, he said, you said you speak Spanish. I have no reason to believe you. So he called in one of his uh, Mexican staff members and had me speak in Spanish for four or five minutes. And it was like, you know, is this guy really fluent? Um, and then I got the job. And and, you know, I, I worked my way up from being a line cook to uh, being essentially, you know, the manager of the production line of the restaurant. And then I became a sous chef at a James Beard competing restaurant. Um, and that was really what paved the way for me to uh, open my own business. That's so interesting. What was the draw specifically to food? Um, well... You know, on one hand, I uh, grew up um, without being able to to get very close to, to people because I would leave, I would come into their lives and then I would leave six months or a year or 18 months later. And food was really a way to show people how you, how you care for them. Um, I, I always say that I think cooking a meal for somebody is the most intimate thing that you can do for them um, without like expressing affection or without using physical touch. And um, I really like that aspect of it. I love, you know, making somebody happy. I love um, making a meal for somebody that's having a, a bad day and just seeing their face change and seeing them like exhale and, and feel more relaxed and, and at home. Uh, and it's, it's a way for to help people uh, care for their bodies and empower them to, you know, do the things that they want to do. And so it's really this deep, like emotional connection. Um, and I just think it's, it's one of the most beautiful art forms. It's, it's really hard to perform and to perform well and consistently. How long did you work in a kitchen? Um, I worked I worked in a professional kitchen from, uh, for about, uh, I think, uh, three years. Um, and then after that, I was, I was running my business. All right. So the next step is to start a business. What were the, what was the path to actually doing that? Um, so, you know, people, um, will have you, people will tell you that you should do a lot of uh, market research and you should, you know, make sure that you have a defined product and a customer base. And they'll tell you to do all these things that you should do to mitigate your risk and you should do them. And I didn't do those things. I, um, was it just, you know, you didn't I know you didn't have the experience to know that you needed to do that or was it just, no, I really believe in this and this is what I want to do and I'm going to find a way to make it work. That was it. I wanted yeah. to get started. Um, so, uh, you know, I had a good reputation. Um, everybody knew uh, the restaurant where I worked. Uh, they knew that the work product I was putting out um, was, was good. And I got sort of uh, a one-off uh, side gig um, catering a lunch for a family in Park City. And, you know, I, I talked to them, I said, what do you want? Um, 
and I catered one meal for them. And then they asked me to do it again. Um, uh, and then they asked me to do it, you know, yeah. once every other week. Um, and this was over the period of, of a month. And, you know, I, I loved it so much. I loved having uh, creative autonomy uh, and like full control over the work product that I was putting out. And I loved being able to do this full time for somebody. And so even though I only had one client that only wanted a commitment every 14 days, I just, um, you know, put in my notice at work and went to work uh, marketing my business and building my client list and um, working to make sure that I could make a living doing this. How did you go about marketing? Um, well, it's um, sort of an insular uh, market in Kirk City, um, especially among the clients that I was working with. Um, so I asked my clients to share contacts that would be open to um, or uh, were sort of in the market for uh, some sort of a, a nutritional solution. Uh, for some catering. Um, I also, you know, had a few friends that had, you know, sort of inconsistent um, side businesses doing this. And I sort of consolidated those lists and built out a robust uh, client list where I could, um, you know, sort of uh, streamline the demand that there was for my product. Mm. And so it was geographically, it was limited to Park City. Yeah. Did you ever think about expanding beyond Park City or going to a different city where there might be a larger population? Um, I thought about it and my decision was not to do it. And it was also the reason why I decided to come to business school. I think uh, it's a business that I really love and that I enjoy, but it's a business that is only so scalable um you know it's your your name and your reputation is is tied to the product that you're putting out so if you're hiring somebody to go and perform the service uh for for your clients um you know even though it's a trusted employee uh clients often are you know they're upset that they're not getting uh you know the name um or you know the, your employee might might say something um, or might wear something that offends you know these clients because they're performing these services at their houses and so it would have been very very difficult to maintain quality um, and maintain customer satisfaction at the level that I had um, if I were to expand and so I decided to come to Marshall um, to build up my uh, sort of business knowledge base and my, my hard and soft skills that you need to start a business. And I'm hoping um, to start a packaged uh, foods business uh, that's more scalable and more profitable. It's interesting that that's the goal because as you're, as you're telling this story, <clears throat> you know, it's such a, and it, I hate that this is true, but it's such a business school thing to say, but I, last week we were in Founders Dilemma and somebody said that VCs, their VC didn't like to invest in 
services businesses because it's not scalable. And it's just rattling around in my head. Services are not scalable. Services are not scalable. And the, the lesson that you're taking is to try to do something that's scalable, that's packaged, that you can sell outside a limited geographic area, and that you're not limited by your personal time as the services provider. Yeah. So. Um, I mean, I, I definitely agree with that. There's, you know, IT services are a commodity. It doesn't really matter who does your IT as long as it works. Same with cleaning. But if you are providing, you know, like bespoke nutritional plans and you're creating the experience of a dinner um, for people that, you know, are, are billionaires and their standards are that high and they could have anybody in the world cook for them, that is very different. It's a lot more specific. It's a lot more customized and it's much, much harder to create a last a lasting and scalable business when when you're not on top of things all the time yeah all right so now you're at business school and the idea is to create a, uh, a scalable business do you have any plans uh to do something as a sort of intermediate job working for a vc working for another startup or do you want to go straight into doing a startup when you leave business school um, so I did a part-time internship uh, this spring. I'm working for uh, a VC incubator and fund uh, called Launch Factory based out of San Diego. And um, quick plug, they're hiring now for uh, summer associates. Uh, so if anybody's still looking for an internship, um, they're hiring. Um, well, and, and you would you would love San Diego. I grew up in North County, San Diego. I went to a high school that had a surf team and not a football team. So that's that's a place you would really enjoy, based on what you've said here. I I really want to visit, but um, but this summer I'm going to be working at Amazon as uh, as, as a program manager. Okay. Um, so and, the opposite of the startup. Yeah, um, you know my. Um, my resume uh, shows that I'm good at taking risks and it shows that I'm entrepreneurial and I have sort of a good business sense. Um, but the trade-off is that I don't necessarily have a lot of big name recognition. Um, so I think Amazon, um, you know, will give me some good experience. It'll add to my resume and I'll be happy that I got the operations experience. Um, I have been working on my business idea on the side. Um, I'm actually making a production run this weekend. And as part of uh, one of my classes, we're going to go and try to sell it to strangers around LA. We were, um, I was in Chris Bresnahan's leadership and executive development course two nights ago. And he played a clip of an interview with Jeff Bezos from like 2008 or nine, I think it was. Um, and he described Amazon as, we're just a startup. And it's like, are you? Are you? Um, yeah, I'm not sure I subscribe to that. But uh, I do think the experience is going to be worthwhile and good. Um, yeah, I think he wanted to make the startup pitch because it was the company was still not making any profits. <laughs> Much better now, though. Everything's great. Just don't ask our yeah, employees. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> no, really, don't ask our employees um, because they're not allowed to take the time off to answer that question. 
Um, yeah, it's hard to be profitable when you're uh, spending all of your free cash flow on acquisitions. All right. Speaking of cash flow, we're going to play Family Feud now. Although there's, right. no, there's no real money, only make-believe money. Um, but uh, this is sort of in honor of 100 Days. We were going to do a Family Feud bit at 100 Days, and it got cut for time. So I'm going to do a little Family Feud with our podcast guests over the next couple of weeks and see if we can have some fun with it. All right. Do you know the rules of Family Feud? I don't know. I'm not familiar. All right, so this is an American game show that apparently they don't have in other countries. And why would you? Because when we play the game, you will realize this is basically a game for crazy people. Uh, basically, the way it works is on the TV show, two families come on the show and they compete for prizes by answering questions. That's why it's called Family Feud. The question is basically uh, they send a surveyor to, usually it's a shopping mall, I assume, and they ask 100 people in a survey to give their answer to a question. And you were supposed to guess what the people who answered the survey said. So you go to a shopping mall, you say, what's your favorite color? And then you're supposed to guess what people said their favorite color is. You say blue. Is blue one of the top answers? Yes, blue. 47 people said uh, that blue was their favorite color. And so in this case, the question that we asked, not we, because I had nothing to do with it. I pulled this off of a website that has an archive of family feud questions and survey responses. Name a professional sport where the players make a lot of money. We asked this question to 100 people, 100 random Americans at a shopping mall. And uh, these are the answers that they gave. There are six sports that they named. Let's see if you can guess them all. You have... Uh, three strikes. So if you get three guesses that are not on the board, not one of these six answers, then you get a strike and you get up to three strikes. So have, I, have, I, under, have I explained it in a way that is understandable? I guess as we play the game and surprises emerge, we will find that I have not explained the game in a way that is understandable. <laughs> um, um, I think I can start guessing up the sports. All right. So uh, six sports on the there. board. Remember, these are Americans who said this. Yeah. So uh, baseball, football, and basketball. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. We're supposed to go one at a time here. You could have used up all your three strikes. Uh, so you said baseball, football, and basketball. Yeah. All right. I'm pretty confident that those aren't strikes, but. All right. All right. Well, let's, let's see if uh, baseball's on the board. Baseball's on the board. All right. Football. Show me football. And basketball. All right, they're all on the board. Those are the top three answers. 29 Americans said football, 27 said baseball, 24 said basketball. You got three more you got to hit and you got three strikes to hit them with. Um, so name a professional sport where the players make a lot of money. Um, soccer. All right, is soccer on the board? It's Americans, I don't know, it might not be. It's on the board. Nice. Seven people said soccer. Uh, I would guess this is a bit more of an international one, but tennis. Let's see if tennis is on the board. Yes, tennis is on the board. You've got five of the six with no strikes against you. There's just one sport left on the board. Can you get it? 
Is it golf? Is golf on the board? Show me golf. I think golf is a pretty good question. A pretty good uh, survey response. Tiger Woods sure made a hell of a lot of money playing golf. But let's see. Did Americans say golf is on the board? No, it's not Ooh. on the board. All right. All right. That's I was all right. really hoping for that six for six. That's all right. You're still you're still humming along pretty nicely. Um, let me think. Uh, let's take people watch on TV. You can take a second and brainstorm. This isn't the real Family Feud, so there's no timer. There's no Steve Harvey who's going to be like, "Come on, come on, come on, answer the question." <laughs> It's a podcast, so anything you want to do to vamp and just fill the space with funny stuff, that's that's fine too. Aaron, I mean, what uh, what sports do you like to, to play in your free time? Give me give me some ideas. You know, I haven't had free time in I don't know how long. Uh, <laughs> I usually I usually just go and like lift weights. I do a lot of lifting weights. I do a lot of uh, interval training playing team sports i mean you've hit the team sports that i play um what about hockey hockey that's a popular sport in the united states popular in canada popular around the world it's in the olympics but can you make a lot of money at it the players don't actually make that much money but the question is do people think they do ah so we're trying to get into the heads of americans and have you successfully gotten into the heads of americans hockey is not on the board you're down to your final strike oh wow it looked so good and now it doesn't look so good but i will i will tell you uh if if for those of the uh super quants the people who got the 51 out of 51 on the math section of the gmat who are counting at home it was 29 people said football 27 baseball 24 basketball seven said soccer seven said tennis so we've covered 98 of the survey responses. There's only two people who named this final sport. Um, so I've got a question. Is, yeah. uh, are we talking about sports in the traditional like, sense of sport where you're, you're basically on foot? Or are we talking about you know, uh, car racing and other competitive activities like that? That's a great question. The actual answer is it's whatever a hundred Americans thought a sport was. <laughs> okay, I'm torn. And one guess for me would be MMA because, or, you know, just hand to hand combat sports. Um, that's become increasingly popular. And my other guess would be uh nascar drivers Mm. so these are pretty interesting guesses i mean those are two very popular spectator sports in the united states people love mma they're paying tons of money on pay-per-view to watch mma there's also lots of people especially in the south who love to watch nascar these guys are huge stars so those are to me those are plausible answers um all right i'm gonna go with uh mma here all right, MMA. Is MMA fighting the missing piece of the puzzle? Or, you know, let's, let's make it more Hold general. Let's, let's make it any sort of hand-to-hand combat sport. 
All right, so we can include boxing, we can include yeah. taekwondo, any kind of organized fighting. All right, is fighting of any kind on the board? <laughs> oh no, that's the final strike. What was the answer? All right. This is why I said at the beginning, this is a game for crazy people. The final answer on the board is darts. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't know anything about how much money people make on darts, but. I don't think you make any money. I think these, <laughs> this is like the two people out of a hundred who went to a bar the previous night and one of them was a hustler and the other one got hustled. <laughs> I think these are the two people who said darts in the survey and the next day they woke up and went to the same shopping mall and one guy was like, you can make a lot of money on darts, at least you can make it off of me. And the other guy was like, you can make a lot of money on darts, especially of that stupid son of a bitch. Uh, I don't know what to tell you. I think sometimes it's better not to win. If you had said darts, it would have been you know, really, um, really something. <laughs> it would have been really I, something. I would have had a lot of guesses before I got to darts. I would have guessed hockey. I would have guessed car racing. Those would have been guesses I would have made. I would have probably at some point, uh, golf probably would have been one of my guesses. Maybe World Series of Poker. That's, yeah, I would have guessed something. that too. Uh, that's something I would have guessed. I would, I don't know how many times bowling, professional bowling. I've seen Kingpin seemed like Bill Murray was making a lot of money in that movie. <laughs> um, I would have come up with a lot of guesses before I got to darts because I would never have guessed darts ever under any circumstances, but that is definitely an ESPN eight, the Ocho sport. <laughs> yes, it is. Along with the Colombian exploding clay, uh, pellets, <laughs> I guess. This no, this is really the ESPN eight the Ocho promo. It's just a shot of a guy throwing darts. It's a shot of a guy throwing an exploding clay ball. This is, <laughs> but that is what that is what our fellow Americans said was a sport you could make a lot of money at is darts, and we wonder why so many Americans have no money saved for retirement. <laughs> All right. So, what's your experience like been so far at Marshall? Uh, it's been good. It's been, um, you know, uh, a challenging uh, learning experience, not only uh, academically, but in terms of uh, what you uh, prioritize um, and how you, how you think through problems personally. Um, you know, it's been tough. I think everybody has the experience of learning to juggle, you know, eight different work streams and five different teams and you know, the stresses just of trying to get an internship and performing academically and all of that. Um, yeah. So it's, it's been good. Um, I think in a lot of ways, uh, it has given me what I was looking for and, and more than what I was looking for when I decided to come to business school. Um, I, I wish, you know, many of our classes were more discussion based because I think you got more of the more out of those than out of lectures but um, you know so far I've enjoyed it what electives have you been taking this spring uh, so this spring I took um, financial analysis and valuation uh, applied financial modeling um, and introduction to new ventures uh, with Tommy Knapp. Um, 
So I'm uh, sorry, go ahead. I'm interested because there seems to be a sort of finance focus there. That's not what I would have guessed. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think uh, every successful person that I've talked to um, that, you know, either built a business or was one of the uh, C-suite officers of a, of a business, I think the common thread is that they are all extremely uh, facile or, or fluent in finance and they understand um, accounting and reporting at a very fundamental level. And, you know, if that's where you want to go, I think, uh, or the, the level of success that you want to achieve, I think that's a necessary, that's a very requisite skill. Hmm. Got it. And of course, for a startup, you'll be doing a lot of the finance yourself. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I hope to uh, manage it and, and help my business become a big business. And I think these skills will be very helpful. Uh, and hopefully you will someday be wealthy enough to afford the services you used to provide. <laughs> um, I can only hope, but uh, something tells me that, you know, I won't really want to pay for something that I can just do myself and maybe do it better. It's not actually buying it. It's knowing that you could. Yeah. Um, all right. It sounds like you're, you're well on your way to making those dreams come true. I really, uh, I thank you for, for being with us today and, uh, please stay in touch and best of luck with the rest of the semester. Best of luck with the summer and best of luck with next year. And guys, if I'm keeping track correctly, I finally did it. I finally did an episode that was under 60 minutes. <laughs> I finally, I finally reached my goal of doing an under 60 minute episode. The first two were like an hour and a half. They were like blank check episodes. Um, like one of those Dan Carlin, hardcore history episodes, but I've, I've slowly imposed some discipline to have a, a show that is a listenable length. And so thank you for helping me reach that goal. You are the one who made it across the finish line with me. I think this is 58 minutes. We finally did it guys. We finally did it. Happy to help. Uh, you know, we're all about iterative improvement here at Marshall. That's the um, idea. Thanks, John. It was great talking to you. And, you know, likewise, good luck for, for the summer and beyond. Uh, stay in right. touch. Thank you. All right, guys. See you next week.